If you have a Bible today, turn to two places if you can hold two fingers in two spots. Uh, Psalm 90 and Ephesians 5. Psalm 90 and Ephesians 5. We've been looking at a series called Not Yours uh, for the last five, six weeks. And, um, and it comes out of 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. You are not your own, the Bible says, for you are bought with a price, so glorify God. And uh, basically, it's just reminding us that anybody who's made a decision to follow Jesus, really, quite frankly, don't have time to go into it, but even if you haven't, God still created you and made you and you belong to Him. But once you've made a decision to say, God, I believe in you, I want to follow you, you're, you're giving that ownership back over to God where, where it's rightfully His to begin with. And so the Bible says, now your life is to glorify Him, which means to bring honor, to bring value to who God is before even yourself. So we've been challenging ourselves in a culture that sounds a lot like those seagulls on the, uh, the movie uh, uh, Finding Nemo. Mine, mine, mine. You remember those? Uh, that oftentimes we love to declare what's ours before we ever think about what's God's or what's somebody else's. And so we looked at it's my life and my money and my plans and my fight on Easter. It's not your fight, it's Jesus' fight. That's what Easter was all about. And Nate talked great last week about my talents. And uh, so this week we're going to be looking at my time. And I don't know how many of you, if, uh, I mean, I, I was single, then married, and then we had five, six years in our marriage, we had started having kids, and every season in your life, your time looks a little different. And let me just tell you right now, as a parent of three kids, like when I come home, sometimes I just run home, I don't live far from the office, just to pick something up or grab a book or something I forgot, and I walk in the house and it's quiet, like I just sit down and go, oh man. That's like something. Like it, it just it doesn't happen. Where's Jerry? It, that's a sweet feeling, isn't it? I mean, you just you're like you want to call the office. Like I'm busy the rest of the afternoon. I'm just gonna sit here and listen to what was always the sound, but now it's filled with kids, and kids are great, and you love them. But your time looks different in different seasons of your life. And one thing I want you to certainly hear about today is there's nothing wrong with having some time to yourself. I probably should should even clarify that. Even thinking about first service, nothing wrong with having some time to yourself. But like anything. It's real easy in our lives for us to become self-centered, self-focused, self-enamored, and, and we, we, start, we start hoarding our time. And we get upset when people and things come in and they, they hoard in on our time. And this is my time. This is not your time. And, and there's a challenge for us in our life to know that, you know what, every moment that we have, God has given to us. It's a, it's a breath that he has given to us. And to turn that time over to God will give our lives great freedom, great purpose, and great value. And so we're going to look at that today. But really, when you think about time, it's the great leveler, isn't it? I mean, in our world today, people have different levels of influence. They have different levels of, of, uh, of wealth and power. Uh, there, there's there are different statuses in, in, our, in our culture. And yet, everybody has the exact same amount of time, right? I mean, that is completely the same. It's absolutely equitable in the sense that we all have 3,600 seconds in every hour, meaning we have 86,400 seconds today. doesn't matter how rich you are, how powerful you are, what kind of positions you have in politics or in a business, no one gets more than 86,400 seconds today. And this year, amazingly, man, 31,536,000 thousand seconds. Man, how many of those seconds are you going to give to Fixer Up or, or Netflix? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I don't know. We, we have 31 million seconds in our life every year. So really, because it's the great leveler, it, it just matters not really whether you, you're trying to grab time or, or in fact, let's be honest, 
kind of a common thing that we maybe don't think about. We talk about, man, I need to gain some time or add some time. But can you really do that? You can't do that. And Jesus himself says it in Matthew 6, who by worrying or by being anxious can add even a single hour to their life or to their day? It, it's, it's really, we say it, but it's really not true. I can't gain time. I can't, I can't add time. I've only been given 86,400 seconds every day. 365 days a year, seven days a week. Nobody gets more, nobody gets less. You can't add time, you can't save time. We say that all the time, right? I just want to save some time. Well, you're not really saving time. I, I had a funeral that I, uh, I did yesterday, and it was perfect, really, in my own head to be thinking about time and our time on earth. And funeral services always help me grapple with just a reminder, as I'm talking about today, of how short our lives can be. And Jack came along with me to help me do worship because uh, poor Nate's in Scotland. I'm going to get back at him. And, uh, and so he came to do worship, and we stuck it in the GPS. And I, he, said, he said that he said yesterday, which I've said many times, whenever you put something in GPS, do, are you like Jack and I? Like, that's now the personal challenge. Like, you will arrive in 26 minutes. No, 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 no. I can do 24. You watch me, right? I mean, I mean, it's just, to me, I take that as a challenge. Like, this GPS, who do you think you are, Garmin? Like, you think you're smarter than me? No. Humans over AI. And so, so Jack's like me, and, and I, I know I can beat it. And we, we think we can save time, but my wife or my parents would say, no, no, you're not beating the GPS. You're not saving time. You're trading safety for time, right? I mean, you're, you're, you're trading something. You're never saving time. You're, I'm going to save time doing this. Basically, what you're saying is I'm going to take time away from what I was going to do over here, and now I'm going to give it over here. There's no such thing as adding time. There's no such thing as saving time. In fact, Believe me, there'll be hope in this today, but let's just be honest too. You cannot make up for lost time either. I mean, a lot of people in life are trying to make up for lost time that they didn't give to their kids or to their family or to their health or to friendships or relationships, but you can't make up lost time. Paul makes it really clear to us. Paul was a, a writer of most of the New Testament, and if you don't know this about him, a lot of people don't, don't have a lot of knowledge of all that. Paul was, was someone who grew up the first half of his life, maybe a little longer than half his life, persecuting people who believed in Jesus. So, so imagine this scenario. He wrote most of the Bible now, and it's about who Jesus was in theology, but he spent over half of the first part of his life killing people who believed in Jesus. So, you know, it's weird when that person shows up to speak at a church on Sunday morning, and I mean, it's kind of funny, but really it's not, when people are there and they're like, you killed my nephew or my uncle, because he did. You imagine having to live your life thinking, here's what I would think if I was Paul, God, why did you wait till I was 40 or 45 for me to finally meet you when I killed all, I mean, realistically, I killed all those people. Why, why didn't I just meet you when I was 18 or 19? You want to talk about someone who could have lived with, like, can I make up for things that I did and make up for lost time, make up for, for things I wish I would have been? But the bottom line is you can't, and that's why he wrote such powerful words. You have to know Paul's life to really know the power of his words in Philippians 3 when he says, I forget what's behind. He's not just saying, like, yeah, I mean, I had a bad week. He says, I literally, I have to forget the fact that I persecuted as a terrorist of Christians I, I killed them, and I have to forget what's behind, and I can only press on to what's ahead. I can't make up for that. You can't add time. You can't save time. You can't, you can't make up for lost time. But the Bible makes it really clear. What you can do is you can spend your time. Well, maybe I shouldn't say it that way. You all are going to spend your time. It's not that you can or maybe you will. No, you're all going to spend your time. The question is, are you going to spend your time wisely or foolishly, says the Bible? Wisely or foolishly? The more that we become obsessed with our own time, my time, and, and again, there's nothing wrong with that, but the more it becomes a, a self-centered pursuit, 
I think we begin to spend it more foolishly instead of wisely. And the Bible helps us understand the difference between wisdom and foolishness. First of all, though, have you ever made a decision that you wish you could have taken back that you regret? Nobody? Oh, well, skip ahead to point three. Um, no, yeah, have you ever, no, you've made decisions, haven't you, before that you're like, oh, I wish I wouldn't have done that, right? I found a couple pictures of people who felt that way. Here's, here's one. That's a, this is a problem. Oh, man. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. And what makes it really funny it's two Sundays ago. Have you seen our big extend crane, the yellow crane thing out here in the foyer um, for our table? I look over, Jerry and I both look over a couple weeks ago, and our five-year-old Zachary's head is stuck inside the truss. And he's like, I can't get my head out. Uh, and uh, so he, we're not the only ones. People do weird things. I, I'm thinking that took a better part of a day to get him out of there. Here, here's another one. Duct tape and high schoolers, always a problem. I remember those days. Um, someone thought that was funny. I actually knew somebody, we, we duct taped him so much. I was, I was a bad youth pastor. I am, I am the example that anybody can make it in ministry because I made it through, um, through being a youth pastor. And I had kids that had uh, literally uh, uh, spray paint poisoning because I got so spray painted at youth group. That one didn't go over well. Uh, and duct tape. Um, duct tape had some issues with burns and duct tape. Yeah, okay, here's the third one. Don't text and drive, or I don't know how that happened. Uh, but that's, that's, you look back at that and, and you wish you hadn't done that. Or, or even the last one, this one's more real life. A couple years ago, remember the captain of the cruise ship in Italy who, oops, wasn't paying attention and ran the cruise ship aground just off the, uh, I think it was the, the west coast of Italy. That's a bad day, wouldn't you say? So when, when, when I made poor decisions when I was growing up and I was younger, my parents often told me, usually my mom would say, you know, you didn't put that one through the filter, did you? Like that was poor filtering when you made that de decision. Now I look back now that I'm almost 40 and I think, Mom, like the problem was I didn't have a filter, right? Like it just, just skipped it all together, right? But, but we think about this sometimes because you think of a filter as being something that should screen something out. And when you, you think about your mind having a filter, you're thinking, you know, not every thought that goes through your head, even today, should really happen. Would you agree? You shouldn't say it. You shouldn't do it. They need to be screened out. And we, we, th we use the word filter probably in our culture now more than ever before because of social media apps like Instagram and Snapchat. Snapchat's got the coolest filters. You can switch faces. I was trying to get one from Lakin this morning because we made my face and, and Ashton's swap. I mean, it's the ugliest thing you've ever seen. You don't want to see Ashton with my face. Um, but you can get all these filters that add things. Instagram was kind of maybe the first one that really got this started. Let me show you this picture. Here's his dad and his son. And um, the beautiful thing about these like filters on social media is you can take a picture and if you're someone like me who's like pale white, you can just throw a filter on there and you look tan, you look good, right? And you put that on social media and everybody thinks, oh, how come I can't look tan like Mark? And you're like, he's not tan. You don't know the real one. And that's why you shouldn't spend much time on Facebook and Instagram looking at other people. Um, but you have these filters and you can change them. Here's the point of what we need to catch today before I read Psalm 90 that there is a way to filter your life, and it is that filter that will help you filter out foolish thoughts, or a different filter will literally filter out, I think, wise thoughts. And at the end of the day, depending on what your filter is, you live your life towards wisdom, or you live your life towards foolishness. So let's look at this in Psalm 90, verse 12. Psalm 90, verse 12. Teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. This is it. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. That is literally a filter that the Bible says you need to put on your heart, on your spirit, in your life, 
that you filter your life through this. And what is the writer here? This is actually Moses writing in Psalm 90, great man of wisdom in the Old Testament who, who wrote this at a very old age, is saying, listen, you need to understand what he says, teach you to number your days. He doesn't mean you need to know how many years you have until you die. He's not, it's not supposed to be pessimistic or if you're struggling with a sickness and boy, you need to think about how long until you die. No, that's not his point. His point is this. You go ahead and count out the length of your life and if you read all of Psalm 90, which we don't have time to get into, you compare your little finite temporary life with the infinite eternal God and you quickly realize your life is but a breath. It's so brief. And actually, that is a powerful filter to filter your life with the understanding of its brevity compared to eternity and even the things that happen in your day-to-day life, the things that are brief compared to the things that are long-term, if you begin to filter your life with that understanding, and listen, it says teach, because this doesn't just come natural. In fact, I would argue it's that word that Jerry talked about a couple weeks ago, yada, to know in Hebrew, to know, to grasp, to understand through experience. This is something you have to keep coming back to Lord, help me again today to remind myself life is short and to filter my life through that today that I would live with wisdom and not with foolishness. Psalm 36 says it, not Psalm 39 says it this way. Show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my day a mere hand breath. The span of years is as nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. Surely everyone goes around like a mere phantom. In vain they rush about, heaping up wealth without knowing whose it will finally be. Just kind of another way of saying the same thing is, man, be careful to be living and to be investing and spending time in ways that are temporary, that you can't take with you, that are just fleeting because it's all just so quick. And when we view life through this way, when we not only view how quick our life is, but we view it with what we understand to be eternal, the eternal world that God has created, it will help us to bring wisdom to our situation. Knowing your limits always brings wisdom. It it, it brings wisdom. When you don't know your limits, you, you make mistakes, you, you go in excess. I mean, I joke about it all the time, but my wife, when we, when, we, when we, on a rare occasion, she lets me eat at a buffet, Jerry will tell me when we walk in, know your limits, like, like, like you can't eat all of that. And I'm like, yes, you're right, you're right. And then I, I can't help it, like I want it all, right? But, but if you know your limits, you not only don't waste food, but you also don't leave in pain and still grab an ice cream on your way out. I mean, that's what I do, but... But if you know your limits, you'll be healthy and, and you won't waste food and all these things. But when you don't know your limits, you end up with a lot of waste and a lot of excess. And this is what the Bible is saying is that if you live your life with wisdom, knowing your limits, this word wisdom is a great word. It means skillful living. In fact, kind of a, a modern day word would be dexterity. That really what, what is being said here in Psalm is teach us to number our days that we may gain, that we, it says this, that we may bring a heart of dexterity to our life, meaning that I would live my life with skill, with skill in what I do, that I would not waste things or waste my life, but I would, I would perform life with skill and do it with good limits. Now, Bobby, would you help me here real quick? Are these, are these meant to bring up here? Can you help me pick these up? I brought an illustration for you this morning. If you can just bring each of those up here. We'll see if this will uh, be something that can help you understand time. Thank you. Um, yeah, yeah, all of them, if you would. Thanks. What I got here is a, a basket full of big rocks, and uh, thanks, and then a, a, a jar full of kind of medium-sized rocks, and then I bought a fishbowl, 
And uh, Jerry said she'll have something for that later. So, you know, right. And then, uh, and then I got some sand. And uh, I, I remember as a kid, I think I was in youth group, and someone used this illustration. I never forgot it. I thought, well, maybe this will be helpful for you today. But if you view your life kind of like this empty fishbowl, yeah, we're all going to have variances and different sizes. But really, when you think about it, especially compared to eternity, whether we live 60 years or 80 years, it's all, it's all pretty much the same. It's, it's not real different. So we have our life, and it's empty. And, uh, and what we have here with the sand, the medium-sized rocks and the large rocks, is what I want us to think about is representing the different things that fill up our lives. The large rocks, and, and even the medium-sized, but certainly the large rocks, these are the non-negotiables. And I would consider the non-negotiables in your life like, first of all, your character, your integrity. Like we've learned in the media, well, my gosh, we learn every week, every month, right? You can, you can, you can ha- have the highest position in politics, you can own a company, but if you are cheating on your wife or on money, if you're, you're doing things that are wrong with integrity and character, you can lose it all. It doesn't matter how smart you are, doesn't matter how great of a business person, how political you are, you don't have integrity, you don't have character, it's gone. So th- these, are, these are considered huge things, non-negotiables. I would consider in your life one of the largest rocks that you can have in anybody's life is the person you marry. That decision to be with someone the rest of your life sets your life on a course, and that person you marry decides kind of which direction it goes. That's an important decision. You don't, you don't, you shouldn't, some people do, but you shouldn't decide who you're going to get married like you, you decide where you want to go out to lunch after church on Sunday. It's a big decision. It's a huge thing that other things should be moved and revolve around in your life. Certainly your spiritual life. I mean, we'll tie this all together at the end, but the, the Bible even says that when everything's done in your life, I was at this funeral, like I said yesterday, you know, the only thing that's left is not the money that's made, the, the, even the people's lives you love and all those things. It's only that remains when we die is, did we have faith in Jesus or not? So, so the large rocks are the big ones. These medium-sized rocks are kind of those things that are not, you know, they're not super important, but they are important. I mean, I, I'll give you a lot of illustrations today of, of being a dad. Uh, it's, it's a big part of my life right now with our kids. And so I made a choice, though it, though it's, uh, it kind of cost me a lot on a weekly basis, but I made a decision to say I want to be involved in their sports and help coach, not because of my my skill or dexterity at soccer or baseball. I can do okay, but mainly because I just want to spend time with my with my kids and I like to spend time with other people in the community that, that don't go to our church. And so so for me, those things are important things. You know, maybe it's coaching or maybe it's for, for some of you it's you know going back to school or learning a different trade or developing a relationship or a friendship. I mean these are these are things that maybe are not gonna set uh, make or break your whole life but they're awfully important. And then the sand, the sand. I mean, the sand is just, and, and, and I'll pour it in here, it's perfect as it illustrates it. It's like the dust of our life here. Um, we, we just move about so much that the sand is really kind of like the filler. I mean, our life is filled with a lot of filler. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, you have a house. You have to maintain it. You have to bring people out. You've got to check the air conditioners and the heaters. You're supposed to. Uh, you have cars. You have to check the oil. You're supposed to. Uh, you know, you have to re- replace the tires. Uh, you, you, you've got you to go to doctor's appointments. You should go to doctor's appointments. There's a lot. Okay. Uh, there's just all these little filler things in our life. It's like the sand. It just fills it up. You've you got to either mow your lawn. You've got to go to the grocery store. It's just all these things. And it's pretty easy sometimes because those things never stop. And they're just tasks over and over and over again. It's pretty easy sometimes to go a day, a week, a month 
where you're like, man, what have I done? Have I, have I gone on a date with my wife recently? Have I spent some time with my kids recently? Have I been working on who I am and some of the most important things in my life? Or has my life just been filled? Because it's real easy. I mean, it is for me. Is anybody else there with me? It's real easy because this stuff just demands so much. But all of a sudden you start realizing, my gosh, it's just filling up. And where, where's the time going? What is happening? And it's real easy. And you think about, I was at this funeral yesterday. Great lady, uh, Joanne. She attended our church a little bit um, when she was feeling, feeling better several years ago. And and uh, well, they spoke a lot of great things about her. She's a great woman. She, she uh, was outgoing. She helped serve a lot of people. She just, they, they're just talking all about her and her personality. Nobody mentioned how good she was at you know, changing the oil in the car or the fact that she always showed up time on time somewhere. You know, you know, because at the end of our life, what we focus on are these things. Here's the irony of it. This is the stuff that sucks us and demands it and we oftentimes give so much time to and yet these are the only things that we remember. These are the only things that we, we seem to care about. And it's just really easy. And, and, and the illustration here, which I'm not going to do because I want to keep using this as I go this morning, but it's simply this, that the wise person doesn't start and fill the jar with sand first and then the rocks and then the bigger rocks. Right? That's foolish living. Wise living says you put in the big stones first, then the medium-sized stones, because then the sand will filter in all around the rest of them. But the opposite is not true. If you were to fill this halfway with sand, you might get one or two more rocks in, a few medium, and you're done. And then you have the most important things, so to speak, in the illustration of life, left out, and your life is full of the filler. Does that make sense? But you put in the big things and the other things, and then the sand will find its way into the crevices. And that's what always happens. That's what always happens is to take our lives and make sure that we are sticking in the non-negotiables, the important things in our life, and the reason, or, and, and what helps dictate this and creates the filter for our life is reminding ourselves of how brief our life is. It helps us shift the stuff around because it's so easy. It's so easy to focus on things when in the end, they don't have a lot of value. They don't, they don't, they don't, they don't change our life very much. Okay, so I'm going to keep coming back to this. So just a, a few very simple points as we, we think about this today. Wisdom filters and changes what we do with our time. When we understand the, the filter of our life being short, it brings wisdom to our lives. And so I want to read you also Ephesians 5. I told you Psalm 90, Ephesians 5. Let me read you Ephesians 5, verse 15. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise people. Here we go again making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery or dissipation. It's another same word. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. All right, a couple simple points today. Number one, wisdom, when we understand how short our life is, it gives us wisdom, and wisdom helps us to develop discernment over and against deception, being deceived. It's developing discernment over the things in our life versus deception. And how I see that is verse 17 there in Ephesians 5. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't be foolish. Understand what God's will is. Why? Because God is always trying to, to direct your life towards things of value, towards things that have eternal and long-term purpose and, and value in your life. Foolishness, the, the definition of foolishness up here is to, to, to make a decision without reason. And, and, and the reason you do that is senseless, foolish, stupid, or number three, part of that definition, without reflection or intelligence when you act rashly. I, I, to me, it wouldn't even matter today if none of you are understanding this. This is a good sermon for me. 
because I've been caught many times in my life acting rashly, impulsively, and it's foolish. But I do that sometimes because I feel like I don't have time. I don't have enough time. I need to make a decision. And, and I feel pressured by time instead of stopping and saying, whoa, whoa, just a second. First of all, is this that really that important? Secondly, you know, I'll, I'll trust God with this and God will give me the time that I need to make the right choice. But it's easy when we act rashly, when we act impulsively, that we act foolishly. And what God wants us to do by remembering how brief our life is and remembering every day to focus on what's eternal, what's on long term instead of just short term, is we develop discernment in our life over and against those things that are foolish. And I, I think about that in a couple of just very simple ways. Number one, we take things too seriously when we act foolishly. We take things too seriously that shouldn't really get our attention. And I'll, I'll say this in a real simple way. Your, your mom maybe had told you this or someone in your life when they say, don't make a mountain out of a, oh, you've heard that before. Don't make a mountain out of a molehill. When, when your life is understood by, by what's eternal, by versus what's temporary, by what you really should be focusing on, you have discernment between what's foolish and what's wise, between what should be big and what shouldn't be. And oftentimes, we turn molehills into mountains. Let me give you some examples, right? Someone says something to you. I mean, they offend you. They say they didn't like the way you look or they didn't like the way you said something or they didn't appreciate the fact of how you treated them. And you get all upset and angry and you get obsessed over that and you can't get over Do you know what they said about me? It just goes on and on. And you know what? When you die someday or even when you get close to death, you know what that thing will feel like? About like that. But the problem is we take that one statement, that one thought that someone did and we turn it into a rock. We turn it into a boulder. And it's not going to be right until they make it right, until they apologize, until they, they do it like I asked them to do it. And we turn something that's temporary and simple and in the grand scheme of life means nothing, and we turn it into a mountain. And we're not going to talk to them. We're not going to do anything. We're going to, we're, nothing's going to change until something happens. And, and we spend a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of attitude and all this kind of stuff, sleepless, whatever, over something that really in life is about like that. Right? I mean, I, I, I've known families <laughs> that have split, left vacations because someone took the nicer room. <laughs> Goodness. Because, because they didn't split the receipt quite right. You owed me 10 bucks. Are you, I mean, all this. Sand, it's nothing. We have a tendency when we don't think eternally to turn molehills into big boulders that take up space in our life that are a waste of space and a waste of time. Right? It happens in marriages, it happens in relationships, it happens in work. And we take things that really, in my opinion, shouldn't, shouldn't give us a whole lot of thinking. Because when it's all said and done, it's not going to be that big of a deal. This is a constant challenge if you're a parent. You know this. Your kids do things all the time. You could correct them, at least my kids. I could correct them in my head about every three seconds. But that's turning molehills into mountains. That's turning stuff that really, at the end of the day... <laughs> Oh, man, I gave you some illustrations. Woo! Um, our kids got into baby powder one time, all of it, and they put it everywhere in our bathroom. I mean everywhere. They were really young. And, um, and uh, you know, I got in there, and I'm like, oh, what did you do? And, um, and we were talking to our parents. You know, they're like, what did you do to them? Did you spank them? You put them in timeout? And we were like, well, no, we kind of laughed and uh, just kind of thought it was funny. Because, you know, at the end of the day, like, I, I, I don't know that I'm going to care. 
They're, 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 yeah, do I want them to do that for the rest of their life? No, I mean, there'll come a time where that will become a stone. No, I'm not, I'm not going to uh, But you can't turn everything into a mountain, right? I'm going to tell you what, God doesn't do it to you. Don't do it to your kids and don't do it to other people. You know how many times today I'll exaggerate, I'll lie, I'll lust, I'll be jealous, I'll be envious, I'll be angry. You know how many times today I'll do that? I am so glad God doesn't come chuck a stone at me every time I make a mistake. He doesn't turn even my own sin, my own mistakes into mountains every single time. He's working. It's a marathon. This is, this is, this is having that perspective. God has it and we need to have it as well. So don't turn molehills into mountains. But secondly, not only do we take things too seriously sometimes that shouldn't get our attention, but we do the opposite. We dismiss things too quickly that should get our attention. Right? Jerry doesn't know this because she wasn't in first service, but we were watching a baseball game last night. <laughs> my, life is, my, my wife is super relational. I'm kind of relational, but compared to her, I'm like zero relational. Uh, I'm task-oriented, and she's talking to me and talking to me. We're watching this baseball game, and she's like, can't, we, can't you just like respond? Can't we have a relationship? And I'm looking at her, and I'm like, our son is pitching. Like, I literally cannot do two things at once. You've read the books, right? You know, and she just looked at me. I'm like, give me a break. I'm like, just one thing, right? And I, I can't focus on two things. But it, just for me to turn and to talk with her, to, to put my arm on her back, to, to have a conversation, it means so much to her. That seems, like, that seems like this to me. But you know, to her, I mean, it's probably not like this, but it's, 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 it's a stone. It's significant. I mean, it was just this week I had to fly back early from a conference I was at because of this service and all the different things going on in my family. I had to, had to come home early, just too much to do. And so I was sitting there at 5 a.m. trying to work on these different things in my house, trying to find that time without kids. And I hear Zachary <laughs> coming down those stairs. It's like 520. I'm like, no, no, Jesus, no. Turn him around. Like, I need this time, right? He comes and he always peeks around the corner. He, usually I'm sitting there. And I mean, I haven't seen him all week, you know. Hi, Zachary. You know, and he goes and sits on the floor. And I'm reading my Bible, which is the worst thing in the world because I'm trying to read no Jesus and I don't want to talk to him, right? <laughs> and he, he finally looks at me and walks over and grabs a book and says, Dad, would you read this to me, right? And I'm preaching on this on Sunday, so I have no choice, okay? <laughs> Let's just be honest. I, well, I've learned a few things too, but I said, Zach, put, put the Bible down and, read the book, and what did that take me? I don't know, two minutes. But you know, that seems like, really, in the grand scheme of things, it's like this, and it's true. For me, that was like nothing. But you know, to my son, I'm trying to develop this stuff in him. Because for my son to know that my dad loves me more than anything else, and that I'm more important than anything else, even, even the church he studies for, the Bible he reads, he, he needs to know that. He needs to know that he's the most important thing in my life and it may just be sand to me, but it's a stone to him. It may just be sand to me, but it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a stone to my wife. There, there are things in our lives that we dismiss too quickly. The person who needs our conversation at the grocery store or at work or the, the, the neighbor that, that we just dismiss because it's, it's not that big of a deal. It may not be a big deal to you, but it may be a boulder to somebody else. That makes sense. When we begin to have an understanding of the eternal nature of, of time, we have time to throw little bits of sand towards somebody that becomes a boulder in their life. What an incredible thing to be a part of. 
Number two, we develop urgency instead of complacency. It is so easy to be complacent, especially when, when as people, we seem so busy. It's not just that we need to do less things um, because we, we're tired. We need to make sure we're doing the right things and the things that give us passion and energy. And what it says here in Ephesians 5, verse 15 and 16, it says, Be careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise. Make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. This, this Greek word, make the most of your time. Make the most of every opportunity. It's really interesting. It literally means this, to take it off the market. In other words, to buy up a great deal. Sometimes my wife returns from those outlets in Lancaster, and she lets me know, I did Ephesians 5.16. I made the most of a great deal. I found it at the Pottery Barn Outlet, and I seized the opportunity. <laughs> but that's literally what it means in Ephesians 5, that in our lives, when we're not obsessed and consumed with our day in front of us, God says there's going to be opportunities to deposit eternal and long-term stones and boulders in your life and in people's lives around you if you're not just being controlled by your time, by your day. That there's going to be opportunities. And he says right there, be careful, be wise, and make the most of every opportunity. I want to say it this way for those of you who are young and for those of you who are old. If you're young, I challenge you, don't look at how empty your jar is because that'll just have a tendency just to think about filling it and what you'll end up doing is filling it with sand, maybe a few pebbles, because your life will be pursuing filling it, filling it with stuff, even good things, but stuff, maybe jobs and careers and money, things that we don't talk about at funerals. If you're young, you don't look at what's empty and how much room you have. If you're young, you start thinking about what are the big pieces that I want to get in now before the rest of it gets in there. What kind of husband and wife do I want to be and what kind of husband and wife do I want to marry? What kind of kids and home do I want to have? What kind of person am I developing? What kind of character do I want to have? What kind of values am I going to live by? If you're young, don't look at what's empty and all that you have. You start looking at the few things that you make sure get put in there and don't get caught pushed out by filler, right? Now, if you're old, if you're old, you have a tendency just to think, look at what's all in there. That's why I'm tired. And my challenge for you if you're old is to not look at all what's in there, but to look at the space you have left and figure out how many other stones and rocks can you get in there and how much you have left to deposit and make stones and rocks in other people's lives. I'll be honest with you. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's the age I'm at or maybe it's just TV. I don't know. But it seems like our, our culture right now is obsessed with retirement. I see retirement commercials all the time. Like we live our lives so that we can have no life, so that we can have retirement. And I told you before when we talked about money, we spend all of our time trying to get money so that we can spend all of our money trying to take care of our health because we spend all of our life trying to get money. But there's a, almost an idolatry to retirement that takes place in our culture now because we have built our culture on the pursuit of happiness, the individual pursuit of happiness. And I love golfing, and I hope someday when I retire, I'll actually get to play golf again poorly, but I'll play it again. But here's the thing, you retire from a job, you don't retire from following Jesus. You do not retire from being someone who follows Jesus. And that means if you still have breath in you, you still have an opportunity to lay stones and rocks in people's lives. You don't look how full it is, you look at what you have left and the difference that you can make in someone's life because of that. When we're young, we're too obsessed with trying to fill it up and we forget the important things. When we get old, we sometimes get too obsessed with what we've already done and forget that we still have more to give. The Bible says opportunities happen every day for us to make boulders, rocks, stones in people's lives, and even still some in our own.
Lastly, number three, do we develop discipline instead of dissipation? Probably some of you don't know that word dissipation, but let, let me read you verse 18. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery or dissipation is the word there. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Some of you have been waiting since I read that. What's the drunk with wine business? Are we going to talk about that? Yes. Dissipation literally means this, extravagant squandering of money, energy, and resources. So it's really interesting that Paul goes on to say, when you're thinking about maximizing your time, he says, don't get drunk with wine, because that just leads to dissipation. What's he saying? When you're under the influence of alcohol, you have a tendency to just squander everything. It could be money, could be yourself, could be your, your own body and, and, and sex or whatever it might be. You're just you're squandering because you don't care. You're under the influence of alcohol. I personally think, this is my own personal viewpoint, I personally think that Paul picked alcohol because it's pretty simple. 2,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago, yesterday, we get it. Some of you, many of you, have understood what it's like to wake up the next morning after you've had too much alcohol and you wonder how much you squandered. And you wonder what you lost. And you wake up with what we call a hangover. And sometimes we wake up with a lot of regret. I wish I hadn't done all that. And I think Paul is trying to really communicate something to us. You want to live your life without waking up without regrets? Then you don't live under any influence other than the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit of God wants you to move your life and to do your life in such a way that you maximize your, your, the, the important things in your life so that you don't wake up one day. Because you know what regret really is? Let me show you what regret looks like. Oh yeah, you did it all and you had lots of relationships and you made lots of money and you, you traveled the world and you did all these wonderful things that we rarely talk about at funerals. And then you get to the last part of your life and then you realize, I want to have a relationship with my kids. And there's just no way to fit it in there. And, you know, I wish I hadn't sacrificed. And then all of a sudden, and then the most important thing, a relationship with God, it just, it doesn't seem to fit anymore. And regret is when you look back at your life and now you wish you would have put something else in even though it's full of other things. There's hope beyond regret. There's hope with Jesus with regret. But what Paul is trying to say here, whether it's alcohol or it's a relationship or it's just sex in general or it's money or it's power or it's fame, he says you start to live under the influence of that stuff, you get drunk on it, you squander your life away and then you take things just like those things. Sex, which is, we're going to talk about this in a couple weeks and a little bit next week, but sex which should give you eternal joy, you turn it into short-term joy that doesn't give satisfaction long-term. You take money and power and relationships and all these great things that God created for long-term amazing benefits in our life and we squander them and they lose their value and all of a sudden it's like it's like currency that's been inflated that it should have value but it doesn't and so you have to do more and more and it doesn't bring the value and doesn't man paul is just trying to say listen you want to live your life differently don't get drunk with wine which just squanders everything let the spirit of god lead you you won't wake up someday with a hangover regretting your life you'll wake up someday saying man i am so glad I invested in my marriage and in my kids and in these people and shared with them about Jesus and that I still have faith in God. You won't regret any of that. And someday when they stand at your funeral, they won't mention all that sand anyway, but they'll mention all the stones in your life because that's what made a difference in the people around your life. That's the only thing that'll be left when your life is over. That's why Paul reminds us also in Corinthians, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. The weakness of God is stronger than human strength. God doesn't have foolishness, but if he did, it would still be wiser than your wisdom. That's why we say, God, it's not my time, it's your time. Let me let you make the most of it. Would you stand to your feet today? And before you close your eyes, usually I have you close your eyes, I'd like you to stand to your feet.
And uh, I want you to see two verses. I, I have just two simple responses as you leave today. The first is this. Some of you, I believe, need to make a decision today to choose discernment over deception. And specifically, just to be honest with you, it's self-deception. And I know this is kind of a major concept, but I, I, I feel like I wouldn't be a loving pastor if I didn't share it with you. But verse 11 of Psalm 90 is oftentimes not read when we read Psalm 90:12. It sounds nice and beautiful, but I'm going to read to you because I love you. Let me read to you Psalm 90, verse 11. What's the context of teach me to number my days? It says this, if we only knew the power of your anger and the wrath. You can go ahead and play, Maddie. Um, if you only knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. What is the context of teach us to number our days? Quite honestly, not only that we are temporary and God's eternal, but what Moses is saying here is, if we understood your wrath, God, we'd make a lot of different decisions. And I know in our culture today, we don't like to think about God's wrath, but it's kind of an interesting thing that we don't because we want a God who's absolutely loving and, and yet we're so, we're so jazzed by certain causes, which I think we should be, stopping abuse and sex trafficking and all sorts of things around the world. And yet the opposite of love is apathy, right? It's apathy, it's to do nothing, it's to care less. God cares deeply about the brokenness and the injustice of our world. And that's why the Bible says that God still has wrath because he hates the injustice that we hate, that we see. And yet, what is so great about our God is that he's a God who's fully just, and yet he's a God who wants to be gracious to those who want to receive his love. And so ultimately Moses is saying, man, teach us a number of our days, God, because these are the days of your grace, your forgiveness, and your mercy that we don't have to experience your wrath for all the injustice in the world that we're a part of if we turn to you now. And so for some of you, I pray today that you choose the discernment that, you know what, you're not perfect, you're a sinful person, and you need the forgiveness of a Savior, Jesus. That you would choose discernment over your own self-deception in that sense. But number two, that you would choose discipline over dissipation for some of you. And I want you to read this verse too because the context of Ephesians 5 is nearly the same. Ephesians 5 says this, You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. The context of Ephesians 5 is the same thing. Man, don't forget that there's an accountability to our lives. Let me pray that over you. Would you close your eyes with me? For the, for the first group of you, you know who you are. Maybe God's been speaking to your heart today. Yeah, God, God is a God of justice, which includes that wrath to make sure that all wrongs become right. But today he stands here as a God that wants to welcome you with loving and grace-filled and forgiving arms, saying, come to me, my son died for that stuff. Don't be foolish. Don't self-deceive yourself that you can earn your way into heaven. You can't. Now is the time to receive his grace and his mercy. If you're here today and you've never done that before, you've never made a decision to say, Jesus, I'm turning my life over to you and I want to follow you today. Or maybe it's just been a long time and you need to do it again. Would you look up at me? Would you raise your hand this morning and I can just receive that prayer of yours and, and welcome you to the Lord? Anybody at all? I don't want to miss you. Make sure you look up at me or wave at me. Anybody? Yeah. Okay. I see you. Yep. Yes, sir. Yep. Who else? Yes, sir. Who else? Anybody else? Thank you, Lord. Okay, you put your hand down. Amen, sir. Yeah. One more question. The second one for, for some of you here. In fact, I know many of you. I've been praying for you for days. 
Some of you right now, yep, you know Jesus, you're following him. But if we're really honest, your life is filled with dissipation, debauchery, whatever you want to call it. You've been squandering the life that Jesus has given you and you've been going and living it on your own. You've been doing things you know you're not. You've been violating your own heart, your own conscience. And today you need to come to a repentance because really you've been caught living foolishly for the temporary, elevating the temporary over the eternal, over the long term. And today you want to, out of a heart of repentance, say, God, forgive me. I want to turn from that. I don't want to live discipline. I want to live towards values and the things you've called me to and not just live squandering my life based upon my own emotions or desires or pleasures. Who, who are you today? No one's looking around. and You don't need to look up at me, but would you just lift your hand to the Lord and say, God, please give me forgiveness. Keep your hands up right now. Yep, hands all over the room. Keep them up. Lord God, you know what it is. I don't know what it is and it doesn't matter. You know what it is. And Lord, right now, these hands are going up saying, Lord, help me to stop squandering my life on these things. I forgive me. Let me follow you and turn and follow you and trust you with my life. Each of these people whose hands raised, give them the power as they go today to make that first step of obedience towards you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.